The Red Review is brought to you by Growth Ignition, the transformation consulting, training and enabling tech firm in the work winning space and their product set, the Bid Toolkit, the online bid processing guide with APMP accredited training and tools to download. Hello everybody and welcome to The Red Review with me, Jeremy Brim. Uh, sorry it's been a bit sporadic over the summer. Uh, it turns out having a baby in the house is, is uh, fairly disruptive. Who knew? Um, so we've not had as many episodes as, as normal. Uh, we're just getting back up to the speed uh, with these things. Um, and so let's get into it. This morning uh, I'm publishing a new episode uh, with my friend Pete Nichols from Hubdo. Uh, let's see what Pete's got to say. Hi, Pete. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Jeremy. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for making the time uh, early on this uh, Thursday morning or early for me, because where, where are you in the world? You're in a different place. Aren't you? I've uh, found myself in Copenhagen. And I say find myself because uh, my daughter uh, lives here, has done for some time and was due to have a baby in January. So we had to leg it to Copenhagen last November thinking that we'd be here for the birth and uh, nine months later we're still here and probably going to stay so we found ourselves here but it's a good place to be very good very good so I remember when we were talking before because obviously I've been on your podcast recently and thank you for for having me what's your podcast called again just so people can pick that up uh, so mine is called the proposal works podcast it's interviews with proposal experts, which is why you were on the program, Jeremy, and sharing the deep, dark secrets of uh, how you win. Very good, very good. Uh, and yeah, you, you were telling me when you were sort of, you're, you're, you've ended up moving house, all of your stuff from the UK without actually coming back to the UK, you've had removal people do it for you, haven't you? Which well, that's quite an experience, yes. When you suddenly find yourself in another country and you left the house in a rush to dodge um, COVID tests and flights and, and so forth. And then you realize, oh, actually that house that we ran out of and just locked the door as we left, we now need removalists to go in and clean it all up and, and box it and make sense of what's there and uh, and ship it all over. So we're almost there in two weeks time, that gear hopefully will arrive in Denmark and we'll move into another flat. The house is empty and uh, yeah, we've got to solve the, the other end of what we do with it, an empty house. But yeah, all part of life's experience. Wow, yeah, interesting times. Well, well done on, on making that happen. Um, so go on then, can you do a bit of a, an intro of yourself, a bit of career summary, tell us about yourself first of all, please. Yeah, sure, so uh, I love helping businesses to win. I've learned that about myself, but that's been in a, a few different instances. It's kind of a, originally a hospitality background way, way back uh, in my days in, in Melbourne, Australia, and, and Queensland, but uh, I soon realized that was business. And that that really led me into technology and using technology in business. I've always been a bit of a techie. And so I worked for a technology company in Australia, which uh, became D Dimension Data and is now uh, part of the uh, much bigger NTT organization. Because it was around the, the 90s when the internet and browsers and it, just business changed pretty radically as to how people found information as consumers. So I got to ride the wave of that. That took me into a company called Cisco, uh, which is still one of the, the big technology players. 
And that's what took us to the UK. So we, we lived in the UK for 10 years, my wife and three children. We, we moved in the late 90s and uh, rode that wave of the, of the bubble up until uh, the great uh, change, 2008, as we saw the storm clouds starting to, to roll in and actually at that time headed back to APAC. And so I stayed with Cisco up until 2013. It was uh, 16 years in total leading technology teams and then leading business development teams and running a sales team and uh, using that experience to then create my own company, which is called Hubdo, which has been running since then, really got up and going in uh, 2015. And uh, we're still doing technology for business, but it's it's all about software now, Jeremy. It's all about the SaaS explosion and how businesses try and get their arms around that to deliver a, a customer experience and, and win business. Okay, so uh, unpack that for me a little bit more. What Hub do do? What's what's the sorts of things that you do for your clients? Yep, uh, that's a good question. So it's called Hub do on purpose because back in 2015, I was looking at what business systems were likely to take a lead role. I had uh, quite a bit of experience with Salesforce in my time at Cisco, but Salesforce is really a sales tool, not a marketing tool. And when you talk to businesses, what do they need most? They tend to say, I need more leads uh, because, yeah, I could generate more sales, but I, I need leads to do that. So I, I looked at what platform was likely to be a front runner, which would be kind of the next Cisco in that space and chose HubSpot as a platform because they already had not only a good vision, but a, an ability to execute right software that is nice to use. So it's a marketing hub and a sales hub and, and now a service hub, which does a service delivery side and operations and, and so on. But it's all built around one core database and then you can plug hundreds of apps into that. So Hubdo, the company, is all about do more on HubSpot. If you're thinking of putting in HubSpot or you've already put it in, but maybe it's not picking all of the goals that you want, uh, that's what Hubdo does. And we do that in Europe, in North America and in APAC, where the needs of business are pretty similar. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. So um, I guess the context for this this podcast in, in winning work and with a sort of heart and foundation in bidding for work, I guess, uh, le leads us to a conversation about how CRM and those marketing tools interface or can flow through to uh, where, where we submit proposals or bids, I guess. So so what, what have you seen in the last 10 years then, uh, since just before you started your business, I guess, and then up, up to now, uh, in how CRM has moved on in that linking uh, with with bidding for work? The biggest change I'd say, first of all, is organisationally that there's been a realisation that if you're delivering a, an end-to-end -end customer experience, which is kind of expected now, you expect that the company is going to know who you are if they're marketing at you uh, and then engaging you in a sales process. As a customer, you want that to be joined up. So that's meant organizationally that a siloed marketing team now needs to be much more connected into what happens in business development, leading through into if it's a proposal process, if you have capture or pursuit as part of the practice, all of that needs to become joined up. So the systems I think have reacted to that, that you, you start by bolting things together. Uh, like I mentioned Salesforce earlier on, if a company had Salesforce as a CRM and suddenly realized that marketing needed to be joined in with that, well, Salesforce went out and bought Pardot uh, 
and then bolted the two together. So you end up gluing applications together. What we're now starting to see are platforms that are written, designed from scratch to be using a common data pool instead of gluing things together. That's the change I see. I think HubSpot's just one example of a joined up platform. But uh, you still get these software elements that zero in on a particular part of the sales process. The RFP tools that help you find things to bid on and help you produce a proposal to send in at the right time that ticks all the boxes, that sort of thing. Software reacting to what the organization is trying to achieve. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I think that's in its infancy in terms of impact in the market though. So it's uh, it's interesting you're part of that upsweep, I think could be interesting times. It, it sort of leads us to a discussion on the, the messy middle, as I know you call it. Uh, can you unpack for me what the, what the messy middle is? Yes, uh, when we're talking about the title for the Today Show, I thought a messy middle really captures it for me. It, it, it captures where a lot of my day is spent is helping people sort out the messy middle. And what I mean by the messy middle is um, if you look at any situation, whether it's a sales process or, um, or, or even entering a relationship which leads on to marriage and, and so forth, it's just at the start, everything looks pretty easy. Uh, people go into it with uh, bright eyes and high hopes, and and then and then you get into what actually needs to be done. You get into the the messy middle. So I use a, a sales context for that. A lead may be captured through seeing that there's an opportunity to pr prepare a bid, or maybe to to have a, a pursuit exercise to try and capture the opportunity to to send in a bid. But you coordinate multiple people you have multiple humans and humans are messy like we if there is a process uh we don't particularly like to follow it um because it just gets boring to be ticking boxes you feel like an automaton to uh, to be doing that and you probably don't want to do that to your team anyway you want to keep the vibrancy around let's see how we can flexibly approach this and and get the right subject matter experts in and then you have the messiness of coordinating that in order to produce a result. That can be the handover from marketing to biz dev, it can be biz dev to sales. How do you get that flow to go through without things falling through the cracks? I think the messy middle is both a people issue and a software issue of um, untangling that so you can get things in on time. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting because that's where a lot of people spend quite a lot of their time, I think. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously, in our episode on your podcast, we were talking about capture, weren't we? Um, where that messy middle is strung out over months and months. You know, if you're if you've got a capture campaign that's a year or eighteen months long, you're constantly fighting that slightly uphill battle to keep everybody organised and and move that move that through together. So, and you and you see technology as playing a really key part in that. What, what do you think the net the future holds for CRM and, and winning work? Where do we go from here? How can we make things even better or scale it? Or what does it look like? Well, I think there's some incredible tools there already. It's just the human element of how we work and using the tools in the way that they were designed. But generally, the tools have been designed by techies uh, who have an idea of how the world should work. And if people weren't so messy, they would do as they're told and they would use the tools exactly as they're uh, supposed to. Yeah. But those same software companies, they fall foul of the, the, the very same um, drawbacks that they see 
in their user base. And if you talk to a software company about what they do, they tend to just tell you what their software does. It's, it's features. It's just, here's, look at all these amazing things that, that, that software can do. The failing is that they're not focused on the outcomes, they're focused on the inputs. So the way I see this changing is um, that a team needs to make the, the mental change to focus on the outcomes that they're trying to produce. And if you do that, then you make a better choice of the tools that allow you to deliver on those outcomes. Um, I don't know, do, do you find this, Jeremy? If you ask somebody what they do, do they talk about uh, outcomes or they talk about their inputs, of their contribution of what their bit is? Um, no, I, I agree with your sentiments. Um, I think it's, I've got family that are IT people. My, my brothers are a wonderful web developer that looked after my digital assets. And I've got my, my wife's marketing agency look after our marketing stuff. And um, we found a similar scenario in, in the marketing space, working together on client work, where I'll, I'll be talking to a client about their general business growth plan and end up bringing back a, a digital project, you know, website, email, social media, and all that sort of stuff, which we kind of divvy up between us. And uh, we've found this interesting, similar, you know, sort of parallel space where clients have gone and some clients have gone and implemented a website for instance before we've managed to get there and we're sort of picking up the pieces and the techies have gone and put in place a website which is you know technically what they think it should be but there's the the usability of it but also all the back end stuff all the analytics the seo and all that sort of stuff is just missing because that's not their bag somebody else's problem um, and of course, it almost becomes pointless because you use that data to drive your leads, to drive the business forward. And it, it is astounding how often we find problems like that uh, in that space. And it's astounding how often I find similar to you, you know, to you, problems in that messy middle where the yeah, you know, people have gone and implemented a CRM platform and not thought you know classically a dynamics a salesforce whatever it is and the adoption of it's piss poor because the it function have been given the project and they implement it as an it project and it's not it's a transformation piece it's about human behavior and the it is just the tool that you use to enable it it's an enabler it's not the the, the sort of some of the parts and so yeah I, I see that very often i mean classically when I was at Mace, my last real job, they spent like nine million quid implementing a big ERP platform. Um, and it was spectacularly late, wildly over budget. They ended up having to deselect elements of it. Um, and, and it was because I think it was treated as, a, as an IT piece rather than a transformation piece. And um, so you, I, I see examples of that big and small all the time. And so how, how do you think we overcome that? What's what's the answer? Well, breaking down the silos is a good place to start. Uh, I think I had this experience uh, just in the last week, actually. So there's a, there's a company up in the Midlands in the UK, where uh, fortunately on that call, we had the main stakeholder who was wanting to drive some business growth. It's a company that produces a solution that also has a technology element to it. So there's a software piece as well as just the, the high level business value that they deliver. And on the call was a representative from marketing and a representative from sales, and then also a person from product. 
uh, who has, has built this thing. And uh, what became apparent as I was asking questions of the group of, because uh, uh, they wanted to talk to me about HubSpot actually, they already have the HubSpot software. So they were, how can we make this tool do more for us, do better? So I started asking questions and those questions were, well, what are your overall goals? And, uh, and so we spent most of the call with the, each of the individuals on that call hearing for the first time what those goals actually were. So um, up until that call, the marketing team knew that they needed to generate leads, but the rest of the team weren't quite sure how many leads marketing was supposed to be producing because it wasn't known. And the sales team had a responsibility around driving revenue. So it was just the connecting up. I think that's where it starts is to break down the silos, but not focus on what each person's contribution was. We, we didn't dive into, well, what do you each do? We first of all worked on what do the outcomes need to look like? By December, how many clients do you need to have closed? If you're gonna close that many, how many need to be on a trial? And if you need that many on a trial, how many are you going to need to have a sales conversation with? So we started with the end in mind and we worked backwards and then worked out, well, who has a role to play here? Uh, who can cover this part? So we focused on the outcomes and uh, that call only went for 90 minutes, but it's transformed. They now have a set of overall objectives. They've signed up for what each person is responsible for in, uh, in achieving that. So I think it was maybe surprising that what they expected was going to be a technology conversation is that they realized that actually all this software is there just waiting for them to sort out the messy middle to decide where they want to get to by when and who's going to be holding which oar of the boat and rowing and who's holding the rudder and uh, that way they get to a destination. I think it starts with the people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there's a few sort of change program or transformation program kind of basics, aren't there, that see these things through successfully. So, you know, number one, any project, and it's we talk about it a lot in our bid training and in our capture stuff, because, you know, a bid is a project the same as an IT implementation is a project that you've got to have a sponsor um, who's absolutely behind it and you know, leading leading from the front. If you haven't got someone senior, you know, if it's just seen as a little project down here, uh, it will tend to fail. Um, you know, you need somebody to really be that figurehead to drive it forward. Um, and then, you know, Mike, Mike Reader, who used to uh, have shared his podcast with me um, last year, you know, we used to have in, you know, debates on some of the episodes about the difference between sort of carrot and stick in terms of using tools or running processes. And I, I think you need a bit of both. That there needs to be a decent launch and communication campaign where you get everybody's buy-in to the the use of the product or service and you know how it's how it's going to pan out what's in it for them the benefit for them how it's going to make their life easier all that kind of stuff um sort of the carrot bit but then there needs to be a stick bit as well that you know in in the bidding game i see in construction for instance a number of building contractors have got microsoft dynamics implemented um quite smartly actually but one of the ways that they kind of try and drive use of it is that they've baked their governance for bidding into it. So your bid, no bid, any sign offs in between, you know, certainly the commercial review, they're all in effect documented in the system and you can't move forward unless you've put it in the system and someone senior's done their bit in the system to sign it off. 
Um, so at the very least, people are being driven to use it and to put their pipeline into it is the the key bit. You know, a number of organisations are using CRM platforms just in effect as their pipeline management tool. Um, but there's so much more, isn't there, in that messy middle of how the humans then use that tool and how they're measured using it, I think. Uh, it, I, I think you need to have a bit of a league table of how well people are using the platform or, you know, how how many accounts they've put on or whatever it is that, that drives the behaviour as well. Yeah, that, uh, that check-off point within the CRM, I... I see two fundamentally different ways that people seem to approach setting up the, the CRM and, and the pipeline. I think the pipeline is important, so at least you've got some defined milestones that you know, uh, well, we have a go, no, go, or a bid, no, bid process. Where does that sit? And uh, and does the organisation actually follow it anyway if the stakeholder's boss says, uh, are we going to bid it anyway? <laughs> does the bid, no, bid process actually hold water? But you have some gates to pass through but it seems to be this approach of um, the push versus the pull in that uh, some CRMs I see they're designed where we've, we've got to push everything up to this line and hit a milestone and then we can get past that onto the next bit. So you're pushing things down the funnel as opposed to does this justify, has, has this opportunity earned the right to pass to the next stage? So you're kind of drawing it through the funnel? Does it have the criteria to come into the next stage? If it doesn't, let's add that. Uh, when, you've, when you're pushing a sales team to say, fill out your sales force or fill out your you know, bid no go process, it's all push, 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 as opposed to probably more the carrot in your analogy, Jeremy, where, well, if, if you want the bid team to engage, these are the extra things that we need that we don't have yet. So if you fill those things out, this is what you get. It's a pull mentality than a than a push mentality. And humans, I think we tend to respond more to being drawn towards something than somebody grabbing us by the shoulders and forcing us there at 11 o'clock on a, a Friday night when we, we really want to be knocking off work. Um, we want to be able to see the other side of it. Why am I having to tick this box? Because there's something in it for me the next day, if I do. Yeah, and I, I think you've got to try and limit the friction haven't you you've got you've got to try and make these things as user friendly and as efficient as possible because uh, if if you create it, it doesn't matter whether it's in a CRM platform or just whatever process platform you use if you go and create infinite amounts of admin in effect that just slow people down it, it really repels them from wanting to be involved doesn't it um, so you've you've got to have a correct balance there I, quite often in my work where I'm doing transformation pieces with clients now on their business growth in effect end to end we have to start with baby steps you know if I try and hit them with a massive process piece overall it's uh, it's always going to fail yeah if there's something that they uh, already do that drives them nuts uh, because they just have to do it and uh, you look over their shoulder and realize you, you don't need to beat yourself up doing it in that way here's a uh, here's a little tool or here's a little something that uh, can take that pain away. And then they look at you and you know, with those uh, sad eyes of uh, why, why couldn't you have shown me that four years ago, Jeremy? <laughs> you could have saved me um, three months of my life of doing this stupid task that I know needs to be done and, and could have been automated. I think that's where the technologists can add a lot of value is to spend the time to, instead of 
pushing the technologies is, is to look at how people work today and, and what they're trying to achieve and then remove the friction. Uh, that's where I, I think I get a big kick out of doing that. I'm probably always, even when I was a kid, I would stay up late at, late at night programming these new computers that would become available in the, in the department stores of um, that you could build something in a piece of software and uh, push a button and it would just keep going but not to build it for its own sake, but to figure out something that normally you have to do manually and it's a pain in the butt to have to, to do it. And you can build this little machine that uh, does that for you and springs up the result. It's um, it's like the equivalent of getting a coffee machine that you wake up and the coffee's already made instead of having to stumble around the kitchen and uh, find all the bits in the dark. Mm. Like I did this morning, actually. Um, <laughs> so um so let's round off with the the, the gimmicky podcasty stuff so um give us your i guess work winning or bidding related heaven and hell first of all so something that's gone really well and something that's gone really badly and you can do them in either order whichever way you you fancy uh well I, I think let's start with the uh with the hell um because the project that springs to mind is one that uh happened in australia actually so it's a construction company and uh, we were putting a system in that would handle, and, and HubSpot was part of that, uh, that would handle the lead generation through to then the, the client engagement, the deal development, and ultimately the, the bidding on, uh, on large projects or just smaller, more um, uh, consumer-oriented type um, uh, owner, owner builds. And uh, it was a dramatic improvement over what they were doing before to use a gaggle of, of technology tools and replace those with HubSpot. But the only thing that really made it hell was it's a really nice guy who's running a company. I thought oh, this, before the messy middle began, I thought this is going to go really well because uh, he's a very proactive business owner, really wants to improve things and has the right vision in mind. And I think where the wheels came off the axles is um, he, he knew enough to want to add a lot of value in the process. So as a, as a business owner, what we needed most was a clear set of objectives of uh, what the goals were, what process leads to achieving those goals, and then we'd build the system to deliver on that. But what we would find is about three weeks into the project, as we were building out the automations and workflows, he'd gone and studied some HubSpot tools, done a bit of online training and gone in there and started experimenting. So we would spend four hours building a workflow that moves data around, cleans up data, streamlines the sales process to find that uh, he'd actually deleted the workflows that we'd created. We'd go in to, to work on them and uh, where's it gone? And so we'd spend half an hour trying to figure out where has this thing gone? I need to talk to support and have HubSpot support tell us, oh, no, that was deleted by user XYZ. And oh, <laughs> so it was wow. a very tough conversation to go to the business owner. And uh, But in return, he was quite frustrated, saying, I thought we'd be further along by now. I really thought, you know, I, I, what are you guys doing dragging your feet? Well, do you know that you just deleted the work that we just spent a week planning and three days building? And, uh, oh, well, you should be able to not let me make mistakes like that. You should be protecting your work. I can't believe that you would expose uh, and make uh, you know, an, an idiot like me able to destroy the work. Well, we just had to have a tough conversation and get your hands out from under the hood of the car. If you want us to fix the engine, we need you to stop 
plugging and unplugging things from the carburetor. And we didn't manage to solve it. In the end, we needed to actually just walk away because um, it was the type of conversation where you, you both wanted the same thing, but just couldn't get onto the rails of how we were going to get there together. So it still burns me that we didn't solve that because from a human element, when you want the same thing, that's where the messy middle just became a, a hairball of, uh, of angst. So I'm quite pleased to have walked away from it, but you've got to have your horror stories. I think the takeaway from that is that we put a lot more diligence into roles and responsibilities now as a project begins to, to go yeah. live and uh, define how things are going to work. Uh, yeah, that's that's the ugly one. The, um, the successes that come to mind, uh, we've, we've had a lot of successful HubSpot deployments. There's, uh, there's one actually that's going really smoothly at the moment. And I think what I love about it is the longevity. So this is uh, another company that's related to construction, um, but their role is raising the finance and then also handling the construction. So it's actually an end-to-end -end, uh, project develop and, and build uh, company. And uh, they, back in 2015, this goes back to, uh, their marketing was largely related to uh, cold calling. They were pounding the phones and, and using those techniques to try and outreach. And today, it would probably a lot of it would be LinkedIn and so forth. But back then, it was just pounding the phones and uh, watching the stats falling off and realizing that this technique, people don't want to be just cold called anymore. There's just the, the reactions, it's not working. People people are angry at us for phoning them. Uh, we need to make a change. And so we we put in the HubSpot marketing back then and uh, and the numbers just went through the roof on the leads because uh, they knew how to use the, the software. And now, in fact, just before we jumped on this call, uh, I had another call with Nick, who's the project lead on implementing the CRM at that same company. Six years later, uh, but that's now where the friction is in the business, is to put that in. So for me, that's a win because it's a long relationship. I mean, it's lovely when you, you're with a customer and that six years later, they want you to implement the next part of the project. Um, that's the human element. And it's still for the same goals that we agreed six years ago. Uh, we're just taking our time to, to get there that fits in with the pace of the business. Yeah, I get that. That's that's a key thing, isn't it? I'm I'm finding because I I like to see change happen quite quickly. I'm you know I've got a fairly short attention span, um, but I'm finding with clients I have to be more disciplined around the sort of baby steps thing, as I call it. You know, these things do take time. You've got to be in sync with the capacity of the business in terms of the pace of change, haven't you? Um, and uh, yeah, keep keeping in rhythm with that. I'm getting used to, and it's quite quite interesting actually. Uh, and different businesses have different paces, don't they? They do. I think this is where, even in my Cisco years as well, um, responsible for all industries and and verticals uh, for for a time. One of my, my favourite jobs was uh, this technical director for UK and Ireland. So whatever was sold into government, into finance and insurance, whatever, it all had to work. But I, I uh, had to take my hat off to the teams that would work on the government bids, which were two, three years in the making. I, I just didn't have the patience to uh, work on a project that long, um, ultimately to know that you might not win it. So I, I just couldn't face <laughs> that. It takes a special type of person, I think, to have that amount of patience. Uh, yeah, I like the quick transformations, but yeah, you can only move people at the pace that, that they're prepared to at a personal level.
yeah you have to you have to find the little wins within the big overall picture don't you that's the thing like because catch is my sort of key sport really that i enjoy most i would say and it is that kind of year two years three years perhaps catch a program stuff but it's you've got to have a break the program down into lots of little parts and have little sprints and sort of motivate yourself around those those little sprints I've, I've found and, and, and enjoy those little wins where, you know, you get one of your guys sitting next to one of the client's guys at a conference or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, ma magic happens. I'm a, I'm a bit of a lucky bastard when it comes to those sorts of things, though. <laughs> to touch wood, long may it continue, uh, I, I tend to fluke a bit of that as well and uh, and get away with it. I've had some good ones this week of, of happenstance where mates of mine have gone and got astronomically big jobs in client bodies and uh, uh, I'm able to find out things that others aren't it's uh, it's it's a bit of a lucky fluky stream of mine but there you go so last thing before I let you go Pete uh, a favorite quote book or inspirational person that, that you have I think the, the most impactful book that I've read and, and I continue to reread is uh, is the work by Daniel Kahneman I first heard about him some years back that he was invited in by Google to present to the Google team and help them with some, some transformation. But uh, he um, he's a Nobel Prize winning expert in uh, human psychology and uh, and particularly around our behaviours. I think he captures the messy middle of the, the messy side of who we are. We think we're rational, but we're actually in reality pretty darn irrational, but we're predictably irrational what Daniel Kahneman did, and his, his main book is called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, he has really captured the bulk of his lifetime's work in this book of things that we now know as behavioral economics of why you anchor to a high price, why you uh, um, cater to the, the things like sunk cost fallacy and, and so forth. There's so many things that uh, businesses have learned to adapt to uh, that stem back to Daniel Kahneman's work. So I think um, that the, the only real book that uh, is sort of cross-referenced, we're two books that reference each other, if you've heard of The Black Swan as well, which uh, yeah. which I also love. And there's a relationship there, but it almost almost like the um, with the two birds sitting on your shoulder of the the good voice and the, and the cranky voice. Uh, Black Swan is the cranky voice and Daniel Kahneman's uh, thinking fast and slow is the the good voice. Both are good read. They both reference each other. But yeah, Daniel Kahneman is one of those must reads. I think really, really valuable just for life in general and and realizing uh, that we all suffer from what he has um, he's captured in his book. Once you know, you can try and avoid it. Very good. Okay, thank you for that. I'll uh, I'll I'll put a link in the old. Uh comments bit with the, the the podcast well thank you very much for your time pete that's been really really an interesting chat uh and thank you for having me on your podcast as well how how, how do our listeners uh, reach you find you what what your linkedin or twitters and all that kind of stuff yeah thanks jeremy well thanks for having me on it's been been a pleasure it's, it's great to be able to have a podcast each so we get to do this two ways we'll have to figure out a, a third reason to maybe host a panel or something um, LinkedIn is uh, is best way for me. I think it's a good way to meet and and uh, understand each other's background, common ground. So Pete Nichols, company's Hubdo, H-U-B-D-O. So pretty easy to find, pop up on uh, LinkedIn, have a chat. If I can help, then uh, that's what I love to do. Brilliant, good stuff, thank you. 
So thanks to Pete for that uh, time with us uh, today. That was a really interesting chat, that connection with CRM through account planning, capture and interbidding uh, and how technology can enable that is a, a space well worth watching. I think it's, there's some real value to be had to that. I, I certainly find it in my work. Um, stick with us. We'll have more episodes coming. I've, I've got some being lined up at the moment uh, and there'll be news uh, in the coming days and weeks about our future events for the rest of this year and, and into next year. Uh, see you soon.